Hey, Fifth Line, Mike Todd here, in arena host for your Columbus Blue Jackets, and you're listening to the Subjectively Speaking Podcast. And now, here's Jeremy Paul and Laura Norman. What's going on, everyone, and welcome into another edition of Subjectively Speaking on the Inside the Rink Podcast Network. My name is Jeremy. And I'm Laura. And we're back. Hey. <laughs> it's been so long. And nothing has changed. Um, so <laughs> it's really positive to know that we can just fall off the face of the earth for two weeks and it'll feel no different than it did if we were recording episodes because the Blue Jackets have done nothing. The, nothing has happened. But we are back. And that's what matters. And that is the news story for the day is that Subjectively speaking, has returned. Woohoo! Correct. I can't think of any other, any other way. And let me tell you, I, this is, I'm getting ahead of myself in saying this, but they need to figure something out because if this ever happens again, I will die. By this, do you mean just like the complete like drought? Oh my God. Like if you are going to just give us nothing in the off season, at least have a regular season that gives us something to be excited about and talk about during the off season because I am dying over here. I cannot wait. And Laura knows this better than probably most people in my life, that I cannot wait for the distraction of hockey to be back. And the fact that the Blue Jackets are giving me none of that this summer and into the start of this school year, as everybody knows, Laura and I working in higher education uh, is cruel and unusual punishment to the nth degree. And I am, about over it. Yeah, I mean, if it's if you can't tell by our voices, um, we are both uh, incredibly exhausted. No, um, I, no, you're underselling it. We are both fucked up right now. Like we are both <laughs> unwell. Like there is no denying it. Like the fact that we're getting on this microphone, and we're having a conversation with each other, and with you all to hear is actually like something from the gods because both of us are not good. <laughs> yeah, for like serious. a multitude for like a multitude of reasons. Um, August has really decided to just like shit on us, um, both from like a work standpoint and I know at least for me from like a personal life standpoint as well. So yeah. So that's why we've been gone. Like we just truly have not had the emotional or like actual time and energy to record well, the and, last couple of weeks. And rest assured, we still don't. <laughs> True. We don't. But... We are just here because it is what we need to do. And also it is energy giving once we do it. But sitting down, let me tell you a chore. I think for both of us, I speak tonight to say <laughs> to get to the computer and hit record. Once we hit record, I think we both like escape everything else and we enjoy this so, so much. And it's so fulfilling to us. But um woof <laughs> yeah it's it's just been it's been a long month and it's it doesn't you know obviously we talk a lot about how august is the worst but like truly it doesn't super slow down um for either one of us until mm -hmm. never because once things with our jobs and our respective campuses are kind of like getting into a groove then immediately hockey season is in full swing. So we're balancing both of our professional sides um, with the podcast and with work. So 
essentially we don't really get a break until like we both are off between Christmas and New Year's. So from our nine to five jobs. So, um, cause even then still hockey is existing, but we love it. Don't get us wrong. Um, mm-hmm. it's just, we don't get a lot of sleep and we don't get to see each other, let alone anyone else in our lives. But, um, we have definitely missed this and I know we've definitely missed talking to each other. Um, about hockey things, we have made um, a little bit of extra effort in the last couple of weeks to at least have some friend time. Yeah, this uh, is rest assured. This is not the first time Laura and I have spoken in the last two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. I feel like that's a, but but we just also had some like life crises that required us to have like some you know friend time. We've just um, had some like you're just like you're just not qualifying over the number. Like we're just saying some. <laughs> An infinite number. <laughs> over, under, like, take the over if the number's five and a half. Like, take the over. Yeah. It's closer to 15. Um, so, but, but yeah, we've definitely missed this. We've, you know, I've spouted it out on Twitter um, when I've needed a break from my personal reality. But we, we miss everyone. But we're happy to be back and happy to talk about. We did compile a list of things um, that we're yeah. going to talk about. Correct. And it only took us like two weeks of things to happen and like two weeks of news cycles for us to finally get to a point where we felt like we had a show worth of content to actually speak on, which is exciting, which I think is like a step in the right direction. I will say I had one content piece for last week, but then we didn't end up recording because I was spiraling. So here we are in this new in this newness with three other topics to talk about on top of the one that I had thought of for last week. So instead of getting a 30 minute episode last week, you're probably going to get closer to an hour this week. So you're welcome. And truly, this is like, with the exception of probably next week, this is the almost the last week that we won't have like planned out things because in two weeks from today, um, which we're recording this on Wednesday, um, I will be at your house in Michigan and we will be on our way in the morning to Traverse City for the Prospect Tournament. So we are not far away from having a steady stream of things to talk about with or without the Blue Jackets actually doing like moves and whatnot. So, um, so yeah, so at least the, the dry spell is like slowly coming to an end. Hey, listen, I have a full panel on a recruitment to get through before that happens. So let me tell you something. Nothing's a guarantee. <laughs> If I'm still on this earth, yeah, we'll be going to Traverse City two weeks from today, but nothing's a guarantee. It's okay. I might be taking your bones to stay at the Airbnb with Danny, Kyle, and I. No, certainly certainly (laughs) spread my ashes. I would love that. Take me to Moomers. Our Airbnb is so lovely. We can scatter you in the lake. Just in the sauna. (laughs) Take me in the sauna, and I'll just be like a humid little puddle of ash and humid. (laughs) This is gotten to a place that i'm okay i think i need to like say that now on the air like to say that like i am good <laughs> like, well i mean i was about about to flip the script and ask how are you bad like like overall not good i the thing about it and and i and it might manifest in the show and laura and i had a little bit of a primer conversation because i knew that if we didn't then it would happen and it would be aggressive <laughs> i am so angry like i have like this ball this little ball i don't know what her name is she lives inside of me underneath of my like solar plex like right here I'm going like, with reba. My sternum. yeah reba's pissed like sure i like that reba is sitting here and reba I'm- is ready to pounce yeah, I'm afraid Reba's gonna hurt my feelings. Reba's not gonna hurt your feelings intentionally. Like Reba, like 
very much like we could have an intent versus impact conversation there won't be intention but like i think it's just like reba is like ready to fucking go like i think that anybody who crosses reba right now is gonna regret it like i it's a weird rage that i felt i told i told somebody today i like found myself like when i walked in the office i was like oh my god that looks like such a nice thing to punch what that's not me that's not who i am as a human i don't, I don't i'm not a violent human in any way shape or form like my mantra is kindness i want to be mean to people <laughs> that's where i'm at right now from like oh, a no. mental health standpoint like no i like i want to be mean i want to make people cry no like, i know that that's what you want and i just fear for my own um battered and bruisedness that is kind of the opposite so you said i am in a place to be coddled (laughs) (laughs) you said i need affection (laughs) so this is gonna be real good then we're gonna have a good time we're gonna have a good time i'm glad you're still standing and i'm assuming you drank water today um no (laughs) i have some i have some though i have a mason jar full of water sitting next to me because i know that i need to i have okay it's a it's an unhealthy little (laughs) trio of things that i have here um so i have my water healthy Mm -hmm. part of the trio um i then have a hazy potamus from trail point which is a brewery in the um city that the college i work in is in so i love that and then (laughs) And then at a certain point in the show, I'm going to pop some Z-Quill. So I have the, <laughs> so that way, by the time we're done recording, I'll be ready to like actually go to sleep because my mind is racing and I'm out of certain treats. So this is, this is the game plan for the evening. Well, I'm glad that you're prepared. The father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. So <laughs> here we are. Oh God. Okay. Well. Anyway, <laughs> so the how are we question maybe is like, I, do we do we want, do we need, should we also bad, right? Like you're also bad? Yeah, I mean, right. I'm not great. <laughs> um, what was interesting until about four o'clock this afternoon was that for the most part, my job has been fairly manageable. Oh God, what happened at four? You probably can't talk about what happened at four, but. No, I can. What happened at four was that we found out that for everyone that is not aware of this, I work in student conduct for a community college. And so we had a really busy summer. We're actually still like trying to recoup from the summer um, because cheaters gonna cheat apparently all the time. And we found out today that the certain program that's used in order to record students while they're taking examinations is increasing its number of users by 50% from this summer. And this summer is the busiest and most cases we've ever gotten. So do you mean like they're like going to be able to like have the capacity to like flag more things, which means that you're going to have to like watch more things? Because physically more people will also be using it. Huh. So Uh. I went from having, so I have 10 workshops that I'm facilitating over the course of the semester. I now have to increase that to at least 15. Which, like, for people who aren't, like, necessarily, like, higher ed people, maybe didn't go to college, or maybe, like, don't necessarily, like, know the average length of a semester, that's, like, at least a one a week, like, to stay on top of things. And that's not even, like, including, like, holidays or whatever have you on the, like, Thanksgiving break week, like, 
So you're probably going to have a week that has two somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. <laughs> it's insane. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, I – listen – Welcome to higher and I'm education. Only, I'm only eight months into this job, and I'm already like my boss tells me all the time, where he's like, "You've been here for three years, right?" And I'm like, "No, I have not." I came to the realization the other day, and I couldn't tell like if I felt like it was accurate, inaccurate, and like if it was inaccurate, if I felt like it was not long enough or it was too long. That this is my like third school year that I'll see at Grand Valley, and that to me was like, "Huh?" Like I was like, "That is insane to think about." Like that, that like this will be the third academic year that I've seen. And I can't tell if I feel like I've been here for 13 years or if I've been here for 13 months. It definitely doesn't feel like three school years. It, it feels like one of the extremes. I'm not sure which. Yeah, it's a fun time. We're going to make it. We're going to make it through. We're going to survive. This is why we do not have a higher education podcast, because I don't know that we could convince any single person to do the work that we do if we did. <laughs> I also don't think anyone would ever hire us again if we spoke about our true feelings sometimes about higher education uh, uh, and your point like w- what about it oh oh you mean i get to be i don't get to be overworked and underpaid anymore that sucks <laughs> damn oh shit <laughs> if only <laughs> if only um but yeah so thank thank you to anyone who like reached out and you know uh checked in on us over the last couple of weeks yeah, that was really nice yeah and if you didn't you suck okay reba's coming reba's out here. To play. sorry yeah reba. i should make a, a third screen for reba <laughs> <laughs> like i should make a third little window for her when she comes out it's just the anger character from inside out just like with a wig on though which like, like insider info i did play anger in my in my fraternities like we used to do like air bands or lip sync like kind of the competitions as part of greek week and one year my fraternity's theme was inside out and i was in fact anger and, and I, at the time that upset me because that was not how i saw you how about now it fits yeah, yeah, a little red, a little red in the face, aren't I? I literally am a little red in the face because I also got sunburned on Sunday, so I'm just, like, not handling things well. Yeah, because Jeremy doesn't believe that um, sunscreen is Oh, for what work. did I say? Yeah. You said sunscreen is only for fun. But sunscreen is like, only for fun activities right. and not work. Here's the reference to that, though. Like, I... When I go to work and when, and when you go to work, like, we don't work jobs that make us be outside on a regular basis like there's a rare occasion that happens and oh i'm the office troll like i barely leave my office and i try to be as well and so the piece of it is like i like wasn't even thinking about the fact that like i was going to work on sunday right like we had our involvement fair um which went really well it was really fun but like i wasn't even thinking about the fact that when i went to work i needed to wear sunscreen because it was going to be sunny all day and the weather was great and it wasn't hot but it was just like the sun it was clear and it was still it's still august right like i mean like the sun was just potent and uh burned my Um, ass uv rays man they're insane i was like how is it that i went to puerto rico for a whole week in like uv index 13 conditions and i managed to like take care of myself and it's because it was for fun like it's because mm-hmm. it was fun see that's the correlation like this is like i think i'm right i think i'm right about this well and the only reason it didn't happen in texas is because it was too bloody hot to go anywhere i wasn't really gonna outside. be outside at all like there was no situation in which i was gonna put myself outside in houston texas for more than five minutes and that was like even that was painful I still put sunscreen on because I was so terrified of getting weird tan lines before 
wearing my dress but oh my shoes so like for folks who like know me like you know that like i usually wear some sort of like a boat shoe or like that kind of stuff during the summer and like no shows and stuff so my tan line right now at the top of my feet is insane like it looks like i just didn't bathe like because it's like so much browner like at the top of my foot than it is like at about the midpoint of my foot is when it just goes to like being like ghostly white like casper who like there she is like it's it's insane i kind of have the same thing too because i wear nothing but like chuck taylor style shoes and so like i have a tattoo on my like top of my foot you know lower ankle and so like the dividing line is like almost right in the middle of the tattoo oh that's funny so it looks really really sweet Mackenzie would be so proud of how I'm taking care of her artwork of course yeah no I need more I was thinking my lips the other day and I need more tattoos but anyway the tattoo that you're referring to combines your two loves one of which is baking and one of which is hockey we should probably talk a little bit about hockey because it's been a minute since we've gotten a chance to do it. And now that we actually have some things to actually talk about, uh, things feel pretty exciting. I, I want to start like Reba is going away. Reba is going home for a minute because I want to talk about something that I think is like pretty exciting. And I mm -hmm. think I'm pretty excited about. I know you're pretty excited about it. And that is uh, the new professional women's hockey league, which is the, the one women's prof like professional women's league that we're going to have in in north american professional hockey and i know that it's something that we both have been talking about needing to happen for a long time and when the news broke that um you know there was some some potential that this would happen we were equal parts like it was bittersweet right like i mean like it was like okay like the foundation of this joint league means that you know, we're, we're going to see them some destruction of, of the league's previous and what that means for those players and all that kind of stuff. Like, there's some real implications to that. But I think in terms of being able to, like, grow this sport for women and specifically, like, within professional women's hockey, because I think in a lot of different areas of hockey, like, women's hockey has been booming, right? Like, I mean, college hockey, like, things like that. So I'm excited to see this formation uh, of this PWHL in which, you know, there are going to be six franchises, Laura. But, but things are a little bit, like interesting with the way that things are getting set up at least in this first inaugural year um but just initially like what are your what were your first thoughts when you saw that this was happening i mean obviously it's not a surprise i think we all kind of saw it coming we didn't necessarily know when or how or what but it's here now we have some more details what are your initial thoughts yeah it's been um, a little time coming i think things started stirring in sort of the mid to late spring as to what was going to happen with sort of the established women's leagues that existed in the moment and you know there was definitely some controversy over those leagues combining and a whole new league being birthed out of that situation because we did see the you know removal of some pretty established um and like fan favorite uh women's league teams um particularly i know buffalo is like real bummed that they no longer have a team um but I think it's exciting that they're really putting forth like real effort to like do all the things within this league that would be the same in setting up a new men's professional league. So they're doing all the right steps. They're like making sure things are set in stone. They're making sure that they have everything outlined so that the women are getting um, you know, sort of a fair treatment when it comes to being drafted into this league, playing for the teams, establishing fan bases, establishing quality coaches, um, and making sure that they have a board of directors that is passionate about growing the game of women's hockey 
Um, and I think it's interesting that they've split the six teams. There'll be three in uh, the lower 48, the United States, and then three within Canada um, to get started. And it just feels like it has, you know, it'll take time, but it feels like it has such potential to like grow. And this is like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like Ohio, Columbus would be a great place for a women's hockey league uh, team. So just putting that out into the universe. But the six um, cities and states have already been announced. So they will, there will be teams in Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, Boston, New York, and Minnesota. Um, it's a little bit hard for those like Midwestern people to go, I guess, to some teams or to see some games. But um, I'm just really excited. And the league is going to kick off in January and their draft is already set for September. So only a few weeks away. Well, we don't even necessarily have the answers that I think some folks might be looking for in terms of what does this mean and like in looking at potential future markets or things like that. And I think that they've honestly set themselves up for some success here too, in the sense that there are reports that the teams probably won't have one home arena, which I think is interesting. Like, I don't know exactly like the logistics that go into that and, and I can't even speak like I do, but I think the other pieces of it that are interesting. So there are a lot of conversations about, you know, whether or not the PWHL is going to have support from the NHL. And while we don't necessarily know what that looks like, the thing that we've been told over and over again is that once, once there is one league and once it's not a matter of the NHL having to pick a league to support that the NHL would be willing to contribute its support to this new individual, like one, one professional women's hockey league within North America. Like that's where they wanted to shift their focus. And because of that, there are reports by folks like Greg Wyshynski that they're planning to have a presence at things like all-star weekend or outdoor games. And so we could potentially see some, some games played there too, right? Like it might not necessarily be that all of these games are played in these home markets. And that's another thing that's said it's, it's entirely possible that there might be some of these games that are played in cities that have NHL teams or cities that like don't have a professional team right now in either the NHL or in the PWHL. And so that part is going to be interesting because I think it can help to inform potentially like what some of those other future markets could look like. So wink, wink, nudge, nudge. If, if one of these games somehow ends up in Columbus for whatever reason, and we, we want to make sure that there is a professional hockey team in Columbus for women, then then you got to show up. You can't not be there. Right. Like, I mean, like those are the kind of things. So hopefully they get the opportunity to, to show that off, but there are some things in there that I think, especially within the collective bargaining agreement that they've talked about for this league that will hopefully make it so that this league can be successful and it can, and it can continue to grow. And one of those things, I mean, obviously like, as, as we saw when the PHF went under um, new ownership and then was essentially dissolved just for the sake of creating this individual league, there hasn't been a lot of stability in terms of like contract situations for women who are, you know, playing professional hockey in North America. And, you know, each team is going to have a number of players that are signed to three year deals, uh, each with contracts over $80,000 a year, which comparatively like it's nothing. Right. But I mean, I think it's like a step in the right direction. It's, it's some sort of, you know, security and knowing that you're going to have a salary of $80,000, right. For the next three years. And, and hopefully that allows you to, to focus on it rather than having to do these other things that a lot of folks who are a lot of women who are professional athletes end up having to do because they're just, the revenue is not there and they're not, they're not being supported in the same way that the men's leagues are. And so 
all of that to say, there are still a lot of things that are unknown about what the future of this league looks like, but I think uh, there's some things to be excited about. Brian Burke is a part of uh, the Players Association in terms of like helping lead that group. And so there's some NHL experience in that room, folks who have been a part of high-level executive spaces within hockey in the past that are going to have an opportunity to be a part of forging hockey forward and, and you know, professional women's hockey specifically. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And and honestly, like, I like I like Berkey. Like, I think he's a good dude. And, I, and we've talked about him on the show before. Uh, so I think him being a part of it is cool. I, I don't know. I think there's reason to be excited. And obviously, three Canadian teams, three American teams. I, like, if, if you just had to, like, out of the cities that are listed, like, which which one do you think you're going to find yourself, like, kind of, like, and, and hear me out and hear me say this, like, team names, team logos, team mascots, team colors, everything like that. Like, none of that has been announced at this point. Like, so Laura and I both are very much, like, visual humans, so I feel like we're going to be, like, drawn to, like, that because geographically I don't know that there is an obvious choice, but we'll see. Um, but is there a market out of those six that you're, like, most excited to see women's hockey in? Um, I'd probably say Minnesota, um, just because I really feel like Minnesota is like the birthplace of hockey in at least America, like, or, you know, the U.S. And um, I just really feel like that's going to be, they're going to have so many options as far as like rink size. I mean, obviously the wild play in Minnesota, it's just always funny when they're like, Minnesota as it's like like it's a city and I'm like yeah and, and because like nobody it's because like and I feel like it's because nobody wants to say like Minneapolis St. Paul but also at the same time nobody wants to just call them like the Minneapolis this because then like St. Paul's like well, dude what the fuck so like I think that that's why they always default to Minnesota because there's I mean like it's also the Minnesota Twins right like and it's the Minnesota um you know their I know their MLS team is Minnesota um well and like Colorado does that too like you know, it's the Colorado Avalanche, it's the yeah, Colorado but, Rockies, like but the Denver Nuggets, season. the Denver Broncos, like their other leagues. I mean, like in Minnesota, I think it's like all all of it is Minnesota. Like, I don't think that there's a single professional the Minnesota Timberwolves. Like, I think everybody is Minnesota, which is fascinating. I'm into I I'm while you continue your thought, I'm gonna look up if there's a reason. I'm gonna look up if there's like gossip on why. Okay. Um, I you know, I think that's kind of the same way about New York too. I mean, all of their professional teams are the New York this, the New York that. Yeah, they're not like the New York City Jets. Yeah. Like New- I think that they're probably but that that city is such a, like a like a mononym, like you know what I mean? Like I feel like I don't know. And also yeah. funny because how many of them don't even play in New York? <laughs> like- that's true. That is very true. Um, but yeah, there's definitely like there's a lot of you know, work to do, obviously, in in the general scope of women in sports in general, like, and this goes across the board with all sports, but I think looking at this, like, that the, that the stepping stones are, like, the foundation is looking pretty solid, and I think that there is an incredible opportunity here that if they continue using people that are passionate about growing women's hockey and they continue to bring in new voices um, that have visions for the potential of this league. Like, I think it could go really far. I mean, it's going to take time. Anything new does. Um, So it'll just be interesting to see. And, you know, as a woman and as a woman in sports, I guess, um, you want to call it like just any opportunity that lends to more female voices and more female opportunities like that's just always going to be, you know, 
a big selling point for me um, and for our our mission um, as a show to continue to grow the game that we love. So I'm excited. I'm excited that it didn't seem to take as long as I think some of us were anticipating that it would, but it'll be interesting to see how it goes when it, well, when the draft happens in September and then uh, when the league officially kicks off in January. I don't know why that you're going to say when you said as a woman in, and I, I, I only ever hear people say like woman in STEM. <laughs> you're going to be like, as an engineer, and I was going to be like, Laura, like when did the career change happen? Like, yeah, no, I'm not smart enough to be an engineer. So Yeah, no, you and me both. You and me both. I facilitated for a fraternity full of engineers this summer, and I have never felt like more of an idiot in my entire life for what it's worth. But I'll, let's return back. Let's I, I digress. So – I'm, I think we, I was right about the Twin Cities issue. Like, right. Like, so good news on that. We got that solved. All the Minnesotans, like everything's okay. Um, I will say, I think that my current home state of Michigan would, would maybe argue between Minnesota and Michigan. Those two are, I'm surprised that Detroit's not in it. Like I'm kind of surprised, like for the same reason that you're kind of mentioning, like that, like Minnesota being such like a synonymous, like to hockey, like, Michigan is is pretty much there as well. Like it is, it is a pretty intense state when it comes to hockey. Like I have learned and living here, and uh, I think that like I don't know, maybe not even Detroit. Like Loki Grand Rapids. Like I feel like it would be lit to have a women's team in Grand Rapids. I think it'd do really well. Anyway, um, Laura, you also talked a little bit about um, you know just opportunity, right? Like it's another opportunity. It's another opportunity to get some folks into the sport, and and you know the opportunities within professional hockey. In North America, they only exist really in the NHL right now, and, and that changes a little bit here, right? Like you, you introduce six new markets, six new teams, and even even though it's a league that's not the NHL, it's still professional hockey in North America. And uh, you know, team staffs, based on what's been reported at this point, are looking like they're going to be anywhere from 11 to 13 uh, full-time staff, right? Like on teams, and again, like these are people who you know, 66 to you know, 16 however many jobs, 78 jobs, the math, I don't know what it is there, but like, that's big, that's big stuff, right? Like that's important. And so I'm excited to see how that also begins to maybe potentially like change the landscape of like who is involved in some of these professional leagues. Like I would love to see some diversity in, in, in the hiring practices of these teams as they start to establish their coaching staffs, as they start to establish their front offices. Um, you know, I think that that's an opportunity that exists here that I hope gets taken advantage of. Uh, because at the end of the day, like, if you want something fixed, like, you give it to women, right? Like, women are going to fix it. And so I'm hopeful that that's the case here, and I'm hopeful that that continues to be kind of like, I, you know, I remember having our dear friend Pashi on the show, you know, or uh, on not even this show, but back when I was doing Line Change, where we talked about, like, just, like, being a fan of a sport and, and specifically, like, how fans of the WNBA and athletes within the WNBA have been always at the front of social change in sports and, and being a part of conversations about society and how that intersects with sports. And I'm hopeful that maybe, like, that's the same situation here, right? And I think that there's already been conversation about what does inclusion of transgender athletes in this league look like. Hopefully it's positive. There's no real indication of what that looks like. But in the article that I read by Greg Wyshynski, he mentioned that there was conversation about what a potential transgender participation policy would look like. And so hopefully it's good things and hopefully, you know, it, it goes in the right direction. The organization that they're working with and, and determining that language was not named, um, which I mean, like, hopefully it's not because that, that would signal to a negative that they're trying to avoid in the midst of all this good PR. But I'm hopeful that that's uh, something that gets done so that way 
trans women can also be a part of this experience because, you know, again, women are at the forefront of changing the way we think about things. And uh, I hope that's the same about sports and the same about hockey. So anyway, uh, well, good news, though. You're not going to have to wait too much longer to watch hockey. And uh, the way that you're going to be able to watch hockey, um, you know, quite frequently is to uh, check out ESPN and ESPN Plus for all the all the different games and out-of-market opportunities you will have to watch your favorite team play. So make sure you go check out InsideTheRink.com slash ESPN Plus to go and uh, access and make sure your subscription is good to go for the upcoming season. Not too far away from that now. But, yeah, I mean, like thinking about Laura, we've we've had – a number of, of stories over the course of the last week or so. One of them was your favorite player in the league got a contract extension from your favorite team in the league. And that was Austin Matthews. He got a contract extension. It was pretty like wild. I mean, I think it was, it maybe changes some of the landscape. I think it's, it's important to look at it as being a contract that changes the landscape for how some of these players are, especially like all-stars like him are getting paid in the league four years. And, and I want to say the AV was 13 and a half, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Austin Matthews is a paid man. And also that is with extreme sarcasm that he says that Austin Matthews. Is I would hope, player. I would hope that the people will know that, right? Like it's, it's a great, it's crazy how much money that is. Um, but it's also probably like, he's worth it. Like, do you know what I mean? Like we're talking about like value of athletes and obviously, you know, the shifting from talking about $80,000 a year to talking about $13.5 million a year is we're talking about two different parallels. But, um, you know, nevertheless, even even within professional sports, $13.5 million for somebody who you would consider probably to be a top five, top 10 talent in a league, it's actually pretty low. <laughs> so we're all over here like, holy shit, $13.5 million. And you look at the NFL, the NBA, all this kind of stuff, MLB, and you're like, huh? But again, let's bring it back to hockey. I think it changes the way that some of these players try to get paid, right? I think that like we've seen some different things over the course of the last year or so where players have been opting for these term deals, right? Even in Columbus, Damon Severson is an example of that. He's somebody who, you know, the Blue Jackets got out and they sign and trade him because of the value of that eighth year. It was so large in that in that negotiation. And now here we are, we're talking about an all-star who instead of taking a eight-year contract for as much money as he can, recognizes that over the course of the next four years, five years, if you include this year, which is the last year of his current deal before that new deal kicks in, things are going to change a lot in the NHL in terms of the landscape of salary cap, whatever have you. He's still going to be young enough to where he's going to get a ton of money. I'm wondering if this impacts a lot of the potential, you know, extensions of the blue jackets have to look at all teams have to look at but specifically columbus they're not far from having to pay some of these young guys and none of these young guys are going to command the kind of money and attention that austin matthews does but i do think it maybe changes their their negotiation i, I mean, would you say that that this has the opportunity to do that yeah i think you're right in saying that it is definitely going to have an effect on future Blue Jacket signings, but I think it's going to have a, a great effect across the entire league. I mean, these younger players who have garnered notoriety for, you know, warranted skills and all that sort of stuff are finding management that, you know, and creating a confidence in themselves that they're willing to die on a hill for the money that they think they're worth. Um and, you know, teams are going to have to make sacrifices um, in order to pay them because, as we all know, the salary cap isn't really increasing a great deal over the next five years. Like, there will be making, they will be making increases, but 
it's not going to be a ton if there's if our higher caliber players are going to be demanding you know this this high um these high of contracts i mean austin matthews is now the highest paid player in the nhl and um or will be when his new contract starts in a year but you know it, it comes down to investing in like your future especially when it comes to young guys obviously i think contract negotiations with like veterans and some older players won't be as affected because you can't really, you know, when you're getting past your prime or you're getting into the later half of your career, like things are just the way they are. And so there's like a industry standard of what that pay looks like for the average hockey player. But, you know, you get these guys that are 21 to 26 and they still have a lot of career ahead of them. And, they're not even at their like peak performance possibly. Um, And you're going to have to pay them to stick around. And particularly for us in this like rebuild, jumpstart, got to win now, got to build back the franchise, like got to do all these things state of mind for like the next few years as we try to bounce back from the last couple years of being a dumpster fire, like you're going to have to pay those players. Like loyalty only goes so long and like loyalty in sports really isn't a, it's there to a, to an extent when players play for teams. Like obviously you have players that will say like, I want to spend my whole career with one team, like, you know, but then even still <laughs> you will get traded away. Cam Atkinson. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's that's going to be tricky when it comes to the Blue Jackets because you're going to have to get, you're going to have to cut things in order to keep people. And we're at a point right now, we, we have too many players right now. So, like, cutting people is already something that we're facing. But cutting people to a lot for, like, much bigger payouts is a whole different story. Oh, without a doubt. And if you look at the Blue Jackets, so like let's we've done this before on the show, but we're gonna we're gonna do it again. You gotta take a look at what the Blue Jackets currently have in you know, in contract, right? So at the end of the 2024-2025, or no, excuse me, at the end of the 2023-2024 season, which is this upcoming season, the Blue Jackets like <laughs> y'all, they've got this is a this is a contract year. Jack Roslevic is a UFA. I would expect that he is probably somebody that you could consider to be trade bait at the trade deadline because I don't know that anything is happening before then. Eric Robinson is a player that's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this uh, at the end of this calendar year, right? So, or not calendar year, sorry, but at the end of the season, that's another player that I think is probably trade bait uh, because I don't know if he's somebody that you can afford to bring back. Not from an afford from like a perspective of like money, he's not going to command a lot of the cap, but in terms of just like sheer space, right? Then you've got players. Okay. Hear this. You've got Alexander Texier who has arbitration rights. He's an RFA. Again, you can't really make a decision on tax until you see what happens this year. And that's okay. I don't think you're in any rush to figure that out. Then you've got um, Ken Johnson, who thankfully for the Blue Jackets is going to have like no power in a negotiation because he is um, unfortunately for, for him, he has not, he's not going to be able to have the number of professional seasons that are required to to enter into that next step of free agency, which means that he can't even get an offer sheet, right? Like nobody can even offer sheet him. So the Blue Jackets are safe with that, but that's a player whose contract is going to be up. Kro Marchenko is a player who does not have that same luxury of having that protection. He's going to be an RFA at the end of this year. 
And Mel Bemstrom, again, you just kind of need to see what happens there. Liam Foody, you just kind of need to see what happens there. Those are two players that are RFAs, but they have arbitration rights. And then you've got Nick Blankenberg, who is another player who, um, you know, you've got to figure out. You've got Jake Bean, arbitration, another player you've got to figure out. He's probably trade bait at the at, during the trade deadline. Justin Danforth is a UFA after this year. He's probably trade de- de- bait at the, at the deadline, right? Like, so you're like, holy shit, right? Like, this is crazy, but like, these are all the players that you're looking at. And so in terms of players that you're probably going to keep, you're obviously keeping Ken Johnson. You're obviously keeping um, – oh, and I'm sorry. I haven't even gotten to down, down to the <laughs> – to the guys who are technically considered to be AHLers right now, and this gets worse. You've got Cole Cylinder, you've got Tyler Angle, Igor Chinnikov, Josh Dunn, you've got Carson. My- like those are all players. Brendan Gons, um, Marcus Bjork, Jacob Christensen, Jet Greaves. Like those are all players whose contracts end at the end of this at the end of this season. So <laughs> you're obviously keeping players like. Um, again, Ken Johnson, you're keeping Crow Marchenko. You're, you know, probably going to hold on to a player like, um, you know, like a Cole Cylinder, obviously. You are going to then start to have to make some decisions, but the way in which you pay these guys is all going to be important, right? And I don't think Cole Cylinder is not being told, Cole Cylinder is being told you don't sign anything this, this offseason. After the season he just had, him having an extension this season was not, like, before the season started was, like, never really a question. I didn't think that was going to happen. Um, Obviously, Rachinikov just did he did sign a contract, but that contract ends at the end of this year, so he's not eligible to sign a um, an extension until I believe December one or January one. I can't remember which, um, but whatever whatever it is. Um, so we don't even have to worry about that. But then you look at players like Ken Johnson and Crow Marchenko. I think some people thought that maybe the Blue Jackets might try to do something to get something on the books with them for the next few years. They didn't. Laura, <laughs> how much? Let's let's start talking. Like. If you're the Blue Jackets, what's your strategy for these guys? Do you treat them all the same? Do you do you treat them differently in the sense of obviously, like I think can, comparing a player like Karel Marchenko, hell, even comparing a Kent Johnson and a Cole Sillin, Like I don't know that those are comparable players, but how do you handle them? If you're you are Yarmo Kekalainen, you like you have full reign of this team and you get those three players in front of you. Like what what are you doing? Like are, who are you keeping long term? Who are you excited? Who are you signing to prove it deals? How much money are you willing to give them? Keeping in mind that, you know, players, I mean, the Blue Jackets are not going to pay any players any more than what Patrick Line and what Johnny Gaudreau are making. And then you look at like your next highest paid forwards and, and it's Boone Jenner after this season at 3.75. Um, did the Blue Jackets go in between 3.75 and 8.7? That's the gap between the third highest paid forward and, and Patrick Line, Boone Jenner and Patrick Line. It's almost $5 million. So, like, do they fall in there? I'm giving you a lot of – I'm teeing you up quite a bit here, but what what do you see happening here? Do you want to go one player at a time, or do you want me to address all Yeah, just let's, let's go one player at a time. Um, and Because I'm assuming then by you saying that, like, you're treating them differently. Yes, I am. I would too. I would too. You can't treat Cole Cylinder like you would Kent Johnson. You just can't. But what? Who do you want to start with? Let's start with Kirill Martinko. Okay, I think that's which is an interesting. It's an interesting case, though. Maybe perhaps. Not really for me. He's like the most straightforward one that I have because I think in the time now Cole's played a year longer than both both Kent and Kirill, unlike. Obviously, Kent's played more games than Krill. And so, like, we're just looking at that. But 
I think out of all of that time frame, in comparison to like who's proved themselves the most, I think Marchenko like has obviously proved his skill and his worth uh, the most out of the three of them, just in the short amount of time that he has played in the NHL. Like he was so impressive last year in his debut or last season in his debut. And I think with the right amount of time and attention, like we can build him into a real superstar. He has the like ambition. He has the, like, he's ready to do this, like, you know, and he's ready to play in Columbus. So like, that's an easy sort of like moldable situation to work with. Um, So for Marchie, like, I'm thinking five years. Four and a half million. I think I definitely don't mind giving him term. I think the thing that I'm most nervous about, if you're talking about extensions, just like from the sake of like today, obviously things are going to change, but we don't have those contexts. So like it's irresponsible to say what's going to happen this year. I think the thing that I would be nervous about is making sure that that goal scoring continues to be consistent, right? That he didn't just find a way to like, because he was coming into the league without a lot of, you know, prior knowledge and all this kind of stuff. Like the teams didn't just like not know how to scout the kid. They, they didn't just know like what, what they needed to do in defending him. So I'm hopeful obviously that, that he will continue to score at the pace that he is. The fact of the matter is, is like if the kid continues to score the way that he does, I don't even think, I don't think four and a half million is enough. Like, I don't know that like he would accept four and a half million. I think so. If you're, if you're thinking about how you want to how you want to do this in a way that's going to be the most advantageous to you as the team, I mean, how old is he? Okay, so he is 23, which means that at the end of oh gosh, I'm gonna have to look at his birthday. Everything is so nuanced. Why can't everything just be simple? So his birthday is July 21st, 2000, which means that he will be at the end of this contract. And by the time July 1st happens, where you know he's no longer under contract, but he'd be an RFA. He'll be just about to turn 24. Um, and so I don't know, either two or three years would push you to his UFA. Like, I don't know. I don't know exactly where that falls with how many years he's played in the league, plus like what the cutoff is for the birthday. So that's on me for not knowing. And they also change that shit sometimes when they do reduce CBAs. And so who knows? But the thing is, is like, do you take him to his UFA? You obviously don't want to let him walk. Um, and if you let him, like, if you let him come up to UFA, then you have to be prepared to either like pay him a premium because he might want to test the market just to see what he gets, or you have to buy a couple years of his UFA. And if you buy a couple years of his UFA, then you're more than likely going to have to pay a premium on that too. Right. And even at that, do you just give him a one or two year deal? If two years will keep you in his RFA years just to maintain control. Um, so maybe you give him a year, like maybe you give him a year after this year. And depending on how he does this year, say he puts up 25, 30 goals this year, which wouldn't necessarily be outside of the realm of possibility given his performance last year, if that continues and he continues to develop and grow. I almost think you have to give him maybe like, if, if he remains consistent and if he grows, I would say probably five to five and a half for a one year deal as a bridge to that longer contract potentially being, okay, you have your one RFA deal at that five, five and a half. You do what you need to do. Score. You show me you can keep being a consistent goal scorer in the league and for our team. Here's seven years. Here's 
six, seven, eight million, like depending on where that scoring falls. And I think I'm comfortable with that. So I, it's it's going to be interesting to see just how he does this year. I think it's going to inform a lot of things, but but we'll see. I mean, we're not far off in terms of our dollar figure. I just think it, the term for him is specifically interesting because I, I, he, especially Russians, I get nervous. I get nervous about Russians. If you push him to the Uf, his UFA years, it makes me nervous. That's understandable. Marchie makes me scared. And if Marchie leaves, Reba comes. Full force. Full force. So, Ken Johnson or Cole, where, where are you going with this? Um, Let's go Kent. Kent is interesting. Kent is probably the person who you know the least about in terms of like what he's going to fully develop into. Um, right. Maybe, maybe Cole is in that just because of his regression last year. But Kent, I mean, you see what he can be. You know what his ceiling is. He's shown it. He hasn't been there consistently, but I think toward the end of last year, he was getting there. He's somebody like you can't talk somebody up as being a player who's going to be a pillar of your franchise and not attempt to lock him in for a long time, in my opinion. And I am very happy. Like we can absolutely disagree on this, but my thing is like, Man, you're sitting here and you're saying, like, for years to come, I mean, we're already – Adam Fantilli hasn't even put on a Blue Dragon sweater to play in real competition, right? And, you know, we're already seeing the discourse of, like, who has the best one-two of young centers in the league. And, you know, when you look at the Blue Jackets, it's Fantilli and Johnson, right? It's not, like, Fantilli and Jenner or Fantilli and, like, whoever else. It's Fantilli and Johnson. And, one, I don't know that Ken Johnson has shown that he is – he is an like he is an NHL center quite yet. I think he is, but he hasn't shown it 100. percent Um, but like if you're if, if that's already the narrative, don't you think that like I'm of the opinion you have to lock him up term. Like, but I but does he want term? Probably not. I don't think players are going to want term. That's like what I think Austin Matthews is uh, like sufficiently done here. People are going to bet on themselves. I can see where you're coming from with that, but like, I don't know. I think Austin Matthews has already played so many seasons with the Leafs and four more years, like is a pretty decent. So like, I don't know that that's the same as like, you know, kind of your first few years in the league, like sort of situation. But with Kent, I think it's interesting because, from a personality standpoint, I think he has, which also comes into play with his ability and what he's been able to show thus far with playing with the Blue Jackets is like, he definitely has a lot of maturing to do and like a lot of, you know, and there's a lot of factors that go into that. There's, you know, playing opportunity and like just being in a healthy locker room and like all this sort of stuff. But I'm more on the side of like, how you treated Kirill is how I would rather treat Kent in giving him like a short one to two year deal um, still within the RFA, like, you know, getting up to that point, but, you know, giving him a little bit of money to like, Hey, you know, we've, you know, we see your skill, we see what you're growing into and like, this is just like a, a taste of the pie. Like, and then, you know, should everything prove, you know, 
to be what we've expected. Like he's this grown into this great NHL center and all those sort of stuff. That's when you hit him with like the longer term, bigger money um, sort of situation to convince him to stay. So like, I'm thinking one to two years extension, um, not great on money in this situation. Cause this is like the money part's just not like my strong suit, but well, and it's also ever changing. Like with the NHL salary cap, like, I mean, like anything can be a redefining salary. Like, so like, you know what I mean? Like I, it's not maybe a fair question to even ask in a time where like salary cap is in such flux, but Hey, we have fun anyway. Right. Yeah. And I mean, in this sort of circumstance, like if you're wanting to tease him with like the potential for a much larger contract, then I think that you look at like, four and a half, five million dollars for those two years just to get him. And then, you know, if it proves to be a good experiment, then that's when you take him to the like six, seven, eight level for that longer bridge deal, you know, the five, six, seven year contract. Um, but I still think there's a lot to see from Kent. Like, like you said, we've seen the glimmers, we've seen like the the potential, but a lot can happen. Um, and, you know, we don't want to end up in like, not that we're paying Liam Foodie big bucks or anything, but like, we don't want to end up in like a Liam Foodie situation where we like throw all of our eggs in one basket and like, it just doesn't like, we talk a big game about someone and then it just doesn't pan out. So like, I think they have to be cautious, more cautious with Kent versus Kirill in my opinion. Yeah, I would argue the Blue Jackets put zero eggs in Liam Foodie's basket because they have done nothing to develop that kid. But that is a we're, well, but you're, we're talking different. Yeah. When he was yeah. first drafted, it was a much different story. Like, you know, it was a much different circumstance where like he was going to become this, you know, sort of incredible player. And then COVID happened, and things just fell to pieces. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I mean, I think. I, I guess, like, let me backtrack a little bit. When I say term, I don't know that I mean, I might have even said that I did, but, like, as I'm reflecting, I don't necessarily mean, like, an eight-year deal. I think with him, you have to, like, keep him again in control. Like, you have to stay in control of your player's contract and of their rights, right? Like, and so, like, for him being a 20-year-old is a five-year contract, potentially, what that contract looks like for the Jackets, where you get him long-term, but you also know that at the end of that contract, he's still in your control. And you could still do what you need to do with him. And again, I think a lot of it has to do with like proving it this year. And a lot of that is going to change. If he comes out and he's not great, then I agree. Like you go short term and you just keep, you keep punting that big contract down as long as you can. Um, I think the other thing that makes me nervous and, and as we pivot to Cole, um, you know, the thing that makes me, I think most nervous is like, you know, you kind of want to know like what your cap situation is going to look like. You want to be able to like project it a little bit. You want to kind of be able to understand, okay, like here in a year or two, when we have these contracts coming up, we should be at this area in the cap. And the the more short-term contracts you have, right? Like I think the harder it is to project those things, but Cole Sillinger is a player that like is to me exactly what you identify as being a player that needs to be, punted down as long as as long as it can be right like i think that that long-term commitment needs to be the last thing the blue jackets do and if they decide to do it it has to be met with like some really strict scrutiny right i don't know that the that he has shown yet that he is worthy of a, of a long-term contract in my opinion i think that you have to keep pushing it down year after year 
maybe you sign him to a two-year deal after this just again continue to try to prove it but he is somebody out of these three if, the, if i found out that the blue jackets gave term to on this next contract he's the player that i'd be the most nervous about yeah i think there's a, a lot more like we need to see a lot more from him in this third year which is definitely why i think that they haven't really moved on anything because you know he had a really steady you know first year in the league and then this past year was just much like the team in general, absolute garbage. Like he, and he himself has said, like, it was not the year that he wanted. Um, so this, this third year in the league is going to be a big, you know, show of like, is he part of the future of the Blue Jackets? Or is he someone that we were happy to get started and like get developing in the league, but we could, you know, trade off or, you know, exchange for someone else that's more in in the bigger picture for us as uh, as our team grows and figures out who they're who they are becoming. Because like, there's no doubt that he's talented. It's just like we're in such an ever changing landscape with what the Blue Jackets are going to become that you know sometimes you have to those fringe players as we talk about all the time. You've got to sort of shave off the fringe players like in my line of work, we use like a preponderance of evidence. So like a percentage of evidence that we have to have in order to like move forward with a situation. So like we use 51% or higher. And so like in this circumstance, you have to look at all of the fringe players that are on the outside of like this ball of team clay that you're trying to mold together into a sphere. Ball of team clay might just, depending on how manic I'm feeling when I edit this, might just be the name of the episode. <laughs> I would love that, actually. Um, so there's like rough edges where they're balancing between like on that edge of 49%, like 50%. You have to like, you know, trim off those ones that aren't meeting that like ex percentage of expectation. And I think depending on how Cole does in this upcoming season is going to determine whether he falls above and below that line and whether they want to invest in his future long term yeah and i mean he seems like a player like the more and more things go forward like that i could see becoming a part of a deal at some point that's going to bring a player in that's going to propel the jackets up you know when they're getting really close to potentially being a contender for the stanley cup like i don't know and maybe that's unfair to him i want him to be a part of it because i think you know i, I think back to that draft in and and Please hear me say this. I'm in no way, shape, or form giving up on Cole Cylinder. I think he's going to be a great Blue Jacket. I think it's just like the more and more things progress, I get like that sense of him potentially being that kind of a player. Um, but I hope I'm wrong. Like, right? And like, but I think that you just have to continue to give yourself the upper hand always. You can't give this kid a, a huge term at the end of this, uh, at the end of the season because one, those are harder to trade. So if you get in a situation where you feel like you need to trade him, that's harder to get rid of, especially in like as the cap continues to evolve, we don't know what that's going to look like. But then also like, again, you just want to be in control of the player. You want to make sure that like, you're not pushing them to UFA, that you're not doing all these other kind of things. They're going to take you out of the driver's seat here. And so the jackets have a lot to, to work with here in 2023 or 2024, 2025 per cap friendly. It looks like they're going to go into the off season. If the NHL salary cap goes up to 87 and a half million dollars, like it's projected to, you know, 
they, they could have about $23.5 million to play with at the, um, you know, when they're looking at that offseason and, and trying to get some of these guys under contract again. I think a lot of those guys walk the the Jack Rossovics of the world, the Eric Robinsons, um, and even some of those RFAs. But I think between those three players and then some of those other utility players, whether that's a player like a Nick Blankenberg or, you know, if they decide that, you know, hey, like this Alexander Texier guy, like we, we saw at Faith, you know, those are players that you get some wiggle room with because you have that 23 and a half because those three players that we just talked about definitely are not going to take up 23 and a half million dollars in the 2024, 2025 season. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Blue Jackets do. We appreciate you coming in that little exercise with us as we thought about it. I was like, man, like this is actually like something that we could talk about that relates to Blue Jackets hockey. How exciting. So that was going to be the content for a couple of weeks ago. We already talked about the PWHL and, um, you know, kind of, a, this feels like a natural segue after talking about Cole Cylinder, but not a ton for me, at least on this, but um, the Cab City Elite League, the Summer Elite League is is concluded. I uh, concluded last week uh, and we have a champion, Laura, and we uh, we might know the owner slash operator slash whatever you want to call him. I don't know what their titles are as being people like, is he like a I sponsor? Think, like, I is he just the HBIC? Team, like, I think it's like team owner. Damn. I think that's what they call them. So. Damn. Uh, big congratulations to our friend Matt Pfeffer and his company 614 Hockey and the whole 614 Hockey team for clinching the first ever Cap City Elite League championship. Um, I believe they won by one goal, um, which was scored by, I think, Patrick Line. Um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was assisted by Patrick Line. It was Sean Corrali, the captain of the team that yes. won it all for him. Um, so it was an, like, I watched, uh, the live stream of it. It was a really fun game to watch. Um, they beat out battery hockey, um, for that first place championship, um, which obviously, you know, battery hockey, my beloved Cam Atkinson, but, um, yeah, it was so exciting to see just this league take off, uh, this summer and being able to like, be as little bit of involved in it that we were with covering it earlier early on um but i can't wait to see what they what they plan to do for next year and you know i can only see it growing i think they'll probably have you know the potential for even you know maybe more than four teams which would be fun um and yeah just i think they'll be so much better prepared to next summer for like an ever-expanding um event and I think the community really loved it. So, like, big congratulations to everyone at Cap City. Like, you know, I don't think you could have asked for a better inaugural season. And, you know, again, shout out to our girl, Danny Smith, for all the incredible photos that she took over the course of the entire um, league. And she, like, she was a big part in, in making it look as cool and as, as successful as it um, has been. So, great job overall. Yeah, I think – do you think our listeners have a game that they play by now that they just take shots every time that one of us mentions Zanny? I mean, probably. We are her number one fans. I think we're probably number two and three. We'll tie for number two. We'll let Kyle be number one. Okay, yeah, that's that's who I'm talking about, like being the number one. So, um, but yeah. But I, I don't want to I don't want to downgrade one of us to three. So I think collectively we could be number two. 
That's fair. I mean, to be fair, you have been running our socials, and I do think that you're the one that mentions her the most on the show. So I think you get to be too if you want to be, if you don't want to share it. But I understand. Yeah, I will course. officially enlist myself as Danny's number one number fan two. stalker or number two fan stalker um, underneath her wonderful boyfriend. Uh, but she's just so talented. I'm like big sister proud because um, yeah, I think being a photographer in my day. At one point, I think having the opportunities that she has would have been something that I would have loved, but it just didn't pan out that way. So I kind of like vicariously live through her experience. So That's fair. That's fair. See, you you have bigger sister energy with her. I have just like, let's be hood rats together energy. So love that. That you do. The, the dichotomy. Yeah. The dichotomy of that feels real. But but yeah, so um, thinking about some other things, I, do you want to let Reba out? Are you going to be mean to me? Not intentionally. <sighs> Fine. We get to disagree, everybody. We get to disagree. We get to, like, kind of disagree. Like, I mean, like, I, like, agree with Laura fundamentally in terms of just, like, the, like, feeling side of this thing. Um, yes, but-, but then you make it seem like I'm, like, not informed on my opinion and that it's just based on feeling. Oh, my God. Wait, who's who's the one being mean first? <laughs> Sorry, this is my residual energy from our text conversation. Yeah, um, to which I said, do we need to not talk about this? Because I think somebody's going to take some things personally and get defensive. But we don't have to. We can, but we don't want to. Do we want to? We can talk about it. Okay, let's get into it. So the Blue Jackets, um, once again, kind of shafted in terms of the national broadcast schedule for the NHL this season. And so um, what that means, at least for the case of the Blue Jackets, it it looks like three nationally broadcasted games, all of which are on ESPN um, slash ESPN Plus, depending on the game. And so, um, you know, obviously still everything being broadcasted through ESPN Plus and and whatever the hell NHL, like like power play or whatever they call it, like they're, they're like out of market streaming so at least in the case of that like that's where i watch all of my blue jacket stuff but um but yeah so you know another year and, and a year in which like the rest of the teams in the eastern conference all have at least 11 um which is a pretty drastic <laughs> difference um and so there is a lot there are a lot of feel like Shocking, I know. Blue Jackets feelings have Blue Jackets fans have feelings about um, the way in which the team is perceived. Uh, that's never happened before, and it'll never happen again, I'm sure. But, um, but obviously, like very, very large discrepancy in the range of games in which the Blue Jackets have versus um, versus the others. I have some theories on why that might be, Laura. I know that it, it obviously is not sitting well in your heart, and it probably shouldn't, and it probably shouldn't sit well in everybody's hearts. Um, what just generally like when you saw that that was happening, like what were your general reactions? No, I understand. I understand that a lot of it is based off team performance and market size and all this sort of stuff. And it's very much so business oriented. And obviously we don't have the lowest number. There's I think six teams that get zero games. Most of them are Canadian teams. Actually, I think all of them are Canadian teams. There's only two Canadian teams that get, any games nationally televised and that's Toronto and Vancouver. Um, Oh, and Ontario. So three, sorry, three of the six Canadian teams. Um, But it just, my upsetness about it is more so that there should be like a league standard and that there shouldn't be such a huge discrepancy 
in conferences where, as you stated, like we have three and then the next lowest is 11. Like that is an insane like difference. And it's also, you're missing out on an opportunity where like you could show us playing against a team that you would much rather show like the Capitals or the Leafs or the Rangers or all that sort of stuff. Like, so there are opportunities there. Um, And I just think that it is a hindrance in being able to grow a smaller market team. So not just the Blue Jackets, but like other smaller market teams, Arizona, like for instance, too, like they only have two games. No, actually I think they have one game. Um, But yeah, it just felt like it felt very intentional. Um, And I just, yeah. And it's not just because I'm a homer and I'm like, people should watch the blue jackets. Like, From a business perspective, I think the NHL, when working with these partners like ESPN and TNT and all that sort of stuff, and when they go into contract negotiations, they should be basing it off like a universal minimum for the 32 teams in the league. Like, and if that universal minimum is three games, okay, then that's three games. But because you should want to expose all of your franchises to the general population. That's just good business sense in my mind. Um, So yeah, I did feel a bit um, perturbed uh, earlier today when I saw that. Um, And it is a little bit of like, Columbus always gets the shaft mentality, but it's also coming from someone who has a marketing and communications background. Like I think that you, this situation is standing in the way of allowing a team to have exposure and to grow in any sort of marginal way, um, at least in this avenue. But, you know, it also just in true Homer stature or I, or true Homer, like energy, I can say that this is just where we prove it to people where we prove it with the play and we prove it with selling out, you know, countless nights at nationwide. And we prove it with, you know, fan experiences that get attention online and all that sort of stuff. And we just show that we're worth having more national attention. So that's my two cents about it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think most of that is very fair. I think the complex, the complexity of the situation, right? Like, and where I'm sometimes like, huh, like how many, how many Blue Jackets fans, right? Like, and, and, we have said it on the show, both of us. We don't necessarily appreciate ESPN's coverage of the Blue Jackets. And so I think, like, you know, I it's hard, right? Because I think, like, at least when you, like, look at, like, Blue Jackets fan forums, or, like, you hear about Blue Jackets fans and things like that, and, like, their their feedback on on watching these broadcasts on ESPN, like, they don't like it. Like, and, and people intentionally don't tune into it, right? And I'm not saying that anybody who doesn't choose to tune into it is, like, inherently affecting whether or not teams are getting games and things like that. But like noticeably, I'm sure there is a drop in ratings, right? When the blue Jaggers are, are featured, especially like, I think one of the games, I think this year is Carolina. One of the games is Dallas. And like, this is like, here's the thing. Like if I'm not a blue Jaggers fan, like I'm probably like, those aren't games that I'm like tuning into, especially like, I think one is in November, the Dallas stars and the Columbus blue Jaggers, a team that finished at the top of the Western conference um, in 2022, 2023, and a team that finished at the bottom of the league in 2022, 2023, 
three playing each other in November where like there's not implications about like anything, even if both teams are playing great in November, like that doesn't have implications. Like that's not even an exciting game that we get on national TV. Like that is just a game, right? Like, um, and so those are the kind of things. And also like not even on national ESPN plus, like we're not like, this is like not, they're not even on ESPN. Like they are on the streaming side of things where like, we're not even talking about cable television. Um, and obviously like, nowadays i mean streaming services might as well be fucking cable television right but like that that's it's complex i i but i can't say i don't get it like and that's i think where like we might like vary a little bit right like where i say like i like understand the frustration and i'm there too like it's sad like it's frustrating like the blue jackets should have more attention i but i don't know like i don't know how we've earned it and i don't know how we've managed to drive numbers for ESPN that only cares about money. Like the ESPN does not give a fuck about growing Columbus's hockey market. Like that is just reality. Like feelings aside, like anybody can feel what they want about like, whether that's right, wrong or different, like they don't care. Um, the NHL has a vested interest in making sure that the blue jackets and the franchise does well and they continue to grow and all that kind of stuff. So to your point about like the NHL and those negotiations, like maybe potentially like being more intentional about ensuring that all of their teams have some attention at some point. Like I hear that, like that, that part is like the NHL owes that to Columbus. It owes it to his franchises. That's why the owners pay so much money to have these franchises. So that part I hear, I think it's just a matter of then the complexity of the NHL having that revenue sharing deal in the sense that like, the money that they make off of ESPN benefits the Blue Jackets, regardless of whether or not the Blue Jackets are playing on ESPN. And so if that means that ESPN doesn't put the Blue Jackets on TV because they know that they're going to make more money if they don't, the Blue Jackets are going to make more money by that too, which means that the Blue Jackets can then take that money and do what they don't do. And this is, I might piss some people off, which is do everything that you're saying, but locally, because they don't. Columbus does not like – where has Columbus really invested a ton of time and effort and energy into growing the sport in areas that like it needs to be grown, which is like underserved minoritized communities. Columbus as a hockey franchise does not do that. Like, so like the things that Columbus needs to be doing locally to grow the team, they don't do all the time, but the things that like we're, we're hoping that the national picture does that. And it's like, but let's do the work here first. And, and hopefully some of that revenue can do that. So that's where I start to get like, the, the business side of this whole thing like comes out in my brain where it's like, I get it. Like I understand the why I don't like the why, but I understand it. Yeah. So anyway, Columbus <laughs> drafted again. Um, and that's, that's where we're at on it. Um, it's a good time. It is a good time. So feelings aside, watch those three games, because if you are the person who says that you do not like that Columbus doesn't have any national games, but you intentionally are one of the people that does not watch them because you don't like the broadcasters, you don't like the biases, you don't like that, then you like, it's the same thing as like, if you don't vote in an election, but like you're mad about the candidate who won, it's like, hmm, could you have played a part? Could you have been a part of that solution? Yes. Um, so be a part of that solution. Like watch those three games on ESPN Plus. Like don't not watch them because you don't like the broadcast. And then maybe next year we'll be talking about the Blue Jackets having four games on TV. It'll be really exciting. It'll be really great. How many did we have last year? Five. I mean, not great either. Like, and here's the other thing. Do you want to know my cynical? And I, I said this to you, obviously, like when we were texting. My cynical thing is like, how much do you think they want to keep Mike Babcock under, under wraps? 
I mean, that goes against kind of what they're saying, though, is that like we're about oh, second chances sure. and we're about, you know, so why wouldn't they want to put them out there? I'm so, you're expecting a capitalist company or a capitalist business like the NHL to like not backtrack on the things that it says because it knows for a fact that like it's feeding us a line of bullshit. Like that's like, I don't know. I'm also Reba is cynical. Reba is a cynical bitch. That's where she's at right now. Like, I don't believe for a second that the NHL gives a shit. <laughs> about like Mike Babcock or like trying to repair this image of like second chances or things like that. They're just trying to protect themselves because they know that they're letting a guy who has potentially been problematic to his players before, like be in the league again. I, part of me wonders like, are they trying to detract the attention from him? Well, I think that that's a double-edged sword because when you look at the, so they're shooting themselves in the foot because when you look at the, the potential that Columbus has with players like John Goudreau and Patrick Laine and Adam Fantilli, like you would think that you would want to showcase a little bit more of the team that got the third overall pick in this like crazy draft that we had, like who was one of the first ones to sign his contract, like who's arguably, arguably been the bigger like news story in some ways than Connor Bernard. Like Ooh, hot take, hot take. I'm saying it. Um, I'm not saying that Connor Bernard hasn't gotten more, but like Adam Hatilli is up there, like with what a story he was coming out of the draft. So I don't know. I just think that I am not as cynical towards like our our market and I do see the potential and I'm not saying that like we do as much locally as we should because we don't but there is effort there and it's hard to like you have to feel support from the powers that be in order to continue generating that energy like it's a balance and I don't think our balance is equal or like it's just off yeah. Let me also point this out here. Like, I'm not cynical toward the Blue Jackets. I'm cynical toward the NHL not wanting Mike Babcock to be out there. So it's not the Blue Jackets that I'm saying I'm cynical toward, except for the local marketing. I think that that needs to be a lot better. But that's the cynicism for me comes from the NHL being this multi-billion dollar corporation that cares a lot about generating revenue and doesn't care to get involved in controversy and it's done it time and time again like it intentionally like does everything it can to subvert itself from being at the center of attention from a story that they don't want to be out there like if anything they're good at it like and so i don't know that's where my cynicism lies it's not with the blue jackets it's with the nhl and i think my issue lies with the nhl too i just think it's on a different scope yeah absolutely absolutely well we didn't fight too much that feels like a win that feels good but high five Awesome. Um, Laura, is there anything else on your hockey heart this evening? We've given the people a full show, which I love being able to do. This feels good. I did probably at like what, like the 35 minute mark, I think is when I took my Zequel and it still hasn't kicked in. So this is great. This is going really well. Um, well, had it kicked in, you would have passed out while we were recording. So yeah, not have been fun content. Um, we won't talk too much about this because there's potential that we're going to have we're going to get an opportunity to learn more information about it. But mm -hmm. the Fanatics Sportsbook uh, Bar and Restaurant did open this week uh, in the Arena District, which is the 
first of its kind sports betting establishment um, that is specifically working with the Blue Jackets. And it's pretty exciting. I mean, I'm not a sports gambler myself. Jeremy does <laughs> the sports gambling. Um, but I think it's an interesting opportunity. I think it's a great way to provide more revenue to the area and to, you know, kind of embrace Ohio um, making sports betting legal um, in 2023. So it's going to be interesting. It looks like a really cool facility. Like I said, we're going to potentially have the opportunity to learn more about it in a firsthand experience way. So we won't touch too much about it, but from a Blue Jacket standpoint, that was something that happened <laughs> this, this week. So um, they had a nice ribbon cutting and all that sort of stuff with some former players and some Columbus celebrities. Uh, but yeah, so more to come on, on Fanatics sports betting. Yeah, we're definitely excited about it, and we're looking forward to, to checking it out ourselves. I know um, that it's going to be a good time there. So, um, Laura, well... I are you going to be able to do this? I feel like uh, is the rust knocked off? I think I'll be okay. I'm rooting for you. I just we we had a lot of at additions and then we like took the break. So this is a test. Like this is a big test for you. Laura, let the good people know where they can keep up with all of the content that we are producing over here at Subjectively Speaking. Yes. So in a perfect world, Jeremy and I are regularly producing articles uh, for InsideTheRink.com. That will resume here shortly once life calms down just a little bit and the season picks up. But to keep up with us on those um, efforts, you can follow Jeremy at ITR Jeremy for all his publications. And you can follow me at ITR Laura on Twitter. Uh, for the articles that I will be posting. I do swear that my draft pick article is coming out before we go to Traverse City. So, um, but yes, other than that, you can follow us on social media. You can uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SubjectivelyPod. You can follow us on Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube at Subjectively Speaking. We do have a website. It is subjectivelyspeaking.com where you can check out more information and links to all of our things there. And if you want to support your two favorite hockey podcasters and get some sweet merch in exchange, we do have a merch store. It's subjectivelymerch.com. Uh, we have a lot of great designs up there right now. Maybe potentially we'll eventually get some new stuff up there when we have a moment to think about it. Um, Thinking like maybe like 2027. <laughs> like I don't know. I was thinking we could chat about it sometime when we're in Traverse City, but we'll see. Um, so yeah, that's subjectivelymerch.com. And then lastly, you can rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Specifically, if you're on Apple Podcasts, scroll on down, hit five stars. It is our lucky number uh, or our favorite number. See, that's the only part I messed up. Um, it is our favorite number. And we don't know how the algorithms work, but we just know that your ratings and subscriptions and likes and stars and all those sorts of things help to get us noticed in the hockey podcast charts and help to bring more people to this lovely little and very patient community of ours. And so other than that, we just love and appreciate you all so much. Yeah, we don't need a national broadcast. We're here locally produced locally locally sourced so we appreciate you all thank you so much for for tuning in and hanging in with us um we're excited to be back 
we've got some fun stuff coming along. The season is almost here. We can finally use hockey as a distraction again. And I know if you're anything like me that you cannot wait, neither can I. And so buckle up. It's going to be a fun one, y'all, as we roll into September. But until next time, make sure you take care of yourselves, take care of one another, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye.